You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. When uh, uh, I was the first member of Congress to, uh, to come out for Jimmy Carter, and uh, and uh, I, I was I, I got 18, I mean 18, 28 people from the Northeast to vote for Jimmy Carter when it was a, when it was a Northern guy against him, and and when uh, Jimmy Carter called me and said, John. Uh, uh, who you want? Who I'll I'll take anybody you ask me to take to be a, to be in my cabinet. I have two people, but you can have number three. And uh, I said, well, let me see. I talked about it. so I called Dick and I said, listen, man, you got to come up here. We got to see the president. And so we did and had lunch and everything just as sweet and nice as he Carter could be and everything, anything he wanted to do. Just, just, and I said, Dick, the first four members get airplanes. Now don't you got it's only two. You, we got there are two airplanes left. Don't you leave here without getting us an airplane. <laughs> don't, don't you leave. The position carries an airplane with it. That's right. And I said, now don't you do that. And he comes back, Carter came back in and he said, well, Dick, what, uh, uh, Dick, John, what is what is what is your your friend, your cousin want? I said, well, I, well, let him tell you. He said, uh, Dick said, you know, Mr. President, said, um, I like historical things, so I want to be the Secretary of Historical, Historical, <laughs> Historical. What, what, what is it? Last call? Preservation. Yeah, historical preservation. I could have kicked him four times, four times. I couldn't do a move, couldn't do a thing. Carter said, you, you got it, John. He, look, he's going to be a great man. He's going to put things all over the United States. He had these little round things, you know. He goes up there. Dick Jenrette did that. No airplane. <laughs> Some people collect old cars, but Dick Jenrette, founder of Wall Street brokerage firm DLJ, he collects old mansions. I like things that can stand the test of years, classics. A self-proclaimed houseaholic, Jenrette owns six classic American estates. This is Edgewater, built in 1824 on the Hudson River in upstate New York. Besides Edgewater, he also owns homes in Manhattan, in North Carolina, in South Carolina, and in St. Croix. What do you like about it? Well, it's very satisfying to see something that's uh, you know, has been beautiful and bringing it back. For almost four decades, Jenrette has been restoring and preserving these homes, homes that were in need of repair and would have been torn down. I stumbled on Edgewater and my heart went out to it. I was a child of a gone with a wind generation growing up in the South, and uh, Tara and Twelve Oaks were big in my memory as a child of houses with columns. Houses like this were considered white elephants. Uh, people wanted a modern glass house. Jenrette bought most of the home's contents at auctions in the 70s. A tough time for the United States as interest rates and oil prices shot up. 
and bankers' commissions dropped. He's established the Classical American Homes Preservation Trust to preserve and protect his homes as examples of classical architecture and the arts of the first half of the 19th century. Over time, Genrette will turn each home over to the trust, which will open them to the public year-round. It's a lot of fun. Old houses are fun. If you would see, see them one by one, you would uh, find them all irresistible. Irresistible and timeless. For today, Michelle Caruso Cabrera, CNBC. Welcome to this special edition. Um, and I found that little story at the end of our show about Jimmy Carter pretty fascinating about Dick Jenrette. He was uh, a kind of an interesting character, a, a cousin of John Jenrette's. Uh, and he went to Wall Street and got rich as one of the founders of Donaldson, Lufkin, and Jenrette, uh, DLJ. And uh, in as the... Uh, story indicated he would go on to do a lot of historic preservation, uh, and he founded uh, to, pres- to preserve the houses that he bought, the uh, Classical American Homes Preservation Trust, and it is an interesting uh, story that I thought I'd kind of kind of delve into in this little special edition uh, of the show uh, and tell you a little bit about it. It it. Uh, the Classical American Homes Preservation Trust does a lot of different things preserving homes. Um, it was established, it says, only to their website, uh, where you can go to is the Classical American Homes Preservation Trust website. It was established by Richard Hampton Jenrette in 1993. The Classical American Homes Preservation Trust maintains four early 19th century sites and their remarkable collections of historic fine and decorative arts. The trust is devoted to advancing American architecture, decorative arts, landscapes, historic preservation. Uh, to enact this mission, we use cutting-edge research, collaborate, collaborate with academic partners, and develop digital resources to educate emerging professionals and craftspeople. They, uh, they've got a list of uh, all the things that they do. Uh, architecture, uh, the houses are the center of their organization. Mr. Jenrette's affection for his houses is evident in his writings, his care in furnishings and decorating them, and his decision to endow them in perpetuity. They are beautiful objects deserving of sustained study and admiration. Historic the preservation, our buildings deserve the highest standard of care. Our preservation efforts include extensive research with a commitment to engaging the finest professionals and tradespeople and a determination to leave our buildings in the best possible condition for the next generation. Historic landscapes that do that too. They care for the sites, extend, extends into their settings. Our living landscapes provide both the backdrop for our buildings as well as important information about their histories. Their care begins with research into historic documents, maps, and architectural, uh, archaeological remains on all the properties. Plus, they have a collections. Uh, our collection speaks to Mr. Jenrette's abiding passion to collect antiques and fine art. He, uh, his efforts to acquire original objects that belonged in the houses provides a rare opportunity to study a collection in very, con- in very context for which it was commissioned and used. And education, each site is the object of the CAHPTS's portfolio in an invaluable teaching vehicle for American history. Through preservation, advocacy, academic partnerships, digital education, public programs, uh, the classic American Homes Preservation Trust purposefully shares our work in doing history to educate the public and the next generation of preservation uh, professionals and craftspeople. 
they have four sites that are um, scattered around the United States, and two of them are in South Carolina. Uh, there's Edgewater at Berrytown, New York, Iron Mount in Hillsboro, North Carolina, the Roper House in Charleston, South Carolina, and Milford uh, in Pinewood, South Carolina. And I thought we'd do a little bit. I went on their site and found two little videos that they put together about. Uh, one, it introduces you to the uh, Hillsboro, North Carolina property, the Air Mount. And the other one is about the preservation going on at, uh, at Roper House in Charleston. And it's so fascinating to see what uh, Dick Jenneret, uh did to preserve these houses. There is no shortage of history in North Carolina. If you're an architecture buff, you might think that you have to drive to the coast or the mountains to see a true classic American home, in which case you might miss a historical gem right in your backyard, Airmount, a short trip from downtown Hillsboro. Airmount's a great site if you really want to know about early 1800s history. And architecturally, everything's intact. Uh, we know a lot about the history of the house and the family. So when people come to take a tour, it's great because we're able to share all our knowledge. And it all begins with William Kirkland, who was the biggest merchant in Hillsboro in the early 1800s. He was the big store owner. He was from Scotland, Air Scotland. That's why he named the house Airmount. And he built it here because it was close to then the Indian trading path, and it passed in front of Airmount. There's 6,000 square feet of living space here. That wasn't a typical home in our area, all set in brick, and that wasn't typical as well because it's a beautiful house. It's very elaborate in its woodwork, in the construction. It's also fairly unique because it's a sterling example of the Federalist period in American history. But I tell you that so you can really understand how much money that the Kirklands put into building their house. It was a big deal at the time, uh, where we are, because nobody was building houses out of brick. Actually, when William first came to America, he really had just the clothes on his back. He was, his father and grandfather were fleshers, or what we call butchers here. But he wanted something else. He wanted a better life. Airmount is secluded, and it's historic. It might be one of the best places in North Carolina to go to reconnect with the past. The Roper House is really one of the great Greek revival mansions, certainly in the city of Charleston. Every prominent player in the preservation world has been in this house, has visited, has seen it. It's one of the more iconic buildings in the city. We know that this building and this site have withstood the test of time. Multiple hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, a massive earthquake, a civil war. But today, it's right at ground zero for rising sea level, rising dam, flooding conditions. We're talking about water coming in from the sides of the building and from underneath. So over the next few years, we will be packing up our antiques, we'll be pulling up the floor in places, pulling up the walls in places to get this building back to where it needs to be. of issues threatening this house, but the two main issues are salt and water. Water is the number one enemy for buildings in 
especially around Charleston, it's all salt water. We're at a low spot on the peninsula, and so our, our foundation is wet. The footings are always sitting in water, so we constantly have problems with water wicking up into masonry walls. Bricks act like a sponge with a capillary action, really just soak water straight up. That salt crystals expand within the masonry and causes that masonry to fail very quickly. We're fighting a lot of different battles. It's a lot of different ethics and preservation, a lot of different philosophies and theories of preservation we're trying to deal with and trying to come up with best practices that we can defend and say this is why we did it. As a historian, I have the easy job. I can tell you what people did that worked and what they shouldn't have done. The real struggle is finding an engineering response that works. We're working with some of the best people in the field. It's often very dirty work. <laughs> and sometimes a lot of it's no fun. Everything is not as perfect as it is reading it in books, but we get to see buildings undone and then put back, and by undoing them, you learn so much. So I feel like it's our job to pass on that information to future stewards. We're hoping to teach by doing. So now we have a big project, a major project that will teach us all. You know, I found touring these homes kind of fascinating, and I, I do that sometimes when I travel. I know uh, I, I used to take a day uh, at the end of my trips uh, in to try to do something touristy, and I would go like to Benjamin Harrison's house in Indianapolis, or or I've I've walked the Battery down there in Charleston. There's a walking tour you can take, and you, and you can go see several of the homes down there. So this is sort of something that I found really fascinating. What uh, Dick Jenrad did, and to think that it all started the Carter administration. Uh, because John Jenrette was trying to get an airplane is <laughs> kind of an interesting uh, part of the side story. Uh, but the uh, Classic American History Preservation Trust did a video um, that we're going to end this show with to kind of introduce you so you know who Dick Jenrette is. You know, that uh, that little story from John Jenrette on the end of that Jimmy Carter uh, episode without telling you who he was. And this video, I think... Uh, We'll introduce you to him, and you'll see his impact, uh, both in the financial world, where he did very well, and then, of course, in uh, uh, preservation of historic homes uh, throughout the nation. If you had a moment with Dick, you really connected. We were talking about meditative space. He said, people close their eyes and meditate to keep the world out, and I'm here to let the world in. It was a relatively small town when Dick was growing up. Population was only 93,000. And I think he developed these core feelings of independence back then. This is exactly who Dick was. He was an all-around student, an all-around athlete. He had it all, he did everything. Middle-class Southern kid, public education, public university at the University of North Carolina. He was an incessant reader of the New Yorker magazine since high school days. I think Dick always had the picture that he would go to New York, and he did.
In Harvard, he made a lot of good colleagues. That's where he met Bill Donaldson and Dan Lufkin, who the three of them founded Donaldson, Lufkin, and Jen Rutt. Well, when I arrived at DLJ, it was a nothing of a firm. I mean, we were a small, fledgling firm. Under Dick's leadership, we became the fifth largest securities firm in the world. It's all about winning together as a team. In Wall Street, can't order people around. They have to want to follow you, and they have to want to believe in you. And Dick had that. His focus on the people was all important. When you're a newly minted coming right out of school and you go to Wall Street, you don't know what to expect, and you don't know what you should be. And right away, you come up with someone like Dick Jenrat, and you connect with him because he could connect with everyone. And he becomes your role model because he's the first wonderful thing you've seen. You say, I want to be like that. For a while, he was known as the last gentleman on Wall Street. And he was truly that. I spent 30 years of my life at Donaldson, Lufkin, and Jenrette, the wisest decision I ever made. And that was all basically Dick's work. He saw you. It made me feel important and part of the team. Dick was a private person, but his passion for old homes, we knew about. He had been building this love of architecture since he was young. All these small steps, cumulative, brought him to that first moment in 1968 to see Roper House and to fall in love with it, and then to even inquire if it was for sale. houses, it was always an adventure. Whether it really was actually the purchase of a house or something that he found, he was so excited. Deep in his DNA is the gene for hospitality and generosity. He wanted to share his houses. He wanted to make his home everyone's home. Two men brought these houses together, Dick and Bill. They became partners. They were mates. Dick couldn't have done what he did with the houses without Bill. Bill loved to be behind the scenes. Bill Thompson really was pivotal in research of the houses and the families that lived there. And then from that role, he also did collecting and acquisitions. They worked very, very hard to pull the whole program together. His houses have a consistency to them that you see his interest, his hand, his eye, and Bill's eye. And the idea in so many of these homes that he collects the original furniture that shows a a reverence for the space and the place and what it was meant to be. I think he knew he was creating a national legacy in putting together both the houses and the collections to go with them. And he understood what they meant to the country and what they could mean to the country. And he was a man who was willing to dedicate his life and his fortune to that. He felt that he wanted to have a a mechanism, if you will, to save these buildings and have them preserved in perpetuity. It evolved into the Classical American Homes Preservation Trust and, and got set up more formally, knowing that he would eventually die, that it would be in hands that he felt had a good chance of doing what he, what he would like to have done if he were still here with us. 
it was palpable when you were with him. When you walked around the house and he showed you an object, his love for that object beamed through. When he talked about a house, how he saw the house, his feeling for it was so obvious. And that was a level of passion that you don't always encounter in our field. But for him, it was personal and emotional. We have to try to channel that energy and create the legacy that truly embodies the spirit that he conveyed to so many people. Dick was interested in the past, but he was equally interested in the future. He was forward thinking and he was modern. I'm most excited about this organization moving into the future and becoming relevant for even more people. And I know that we can turn this into something that's really going to tell an American history and it's going to tell a personal history. We appreciate your support from the past. We hope you'll fully engage in supporting this effort today. And we look forward to your ongoing support tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again and so long for now.